This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. family and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the hero academy podcast if you are a frontline hero police fire ems military or medical professional you are in the right place and this show is for you this week i'd like to introduce you to our guest shannon peel for this episode of the hero academy podcast episode number 12 enjoy I have Shannon Peel with me. I appreciate you being my guest today. So just a little backstory, if you could go into your history and just tell everybody about you. Thanks. I was born and raised in British Columbia, Canada, and I currently live downtown Vancouver. I started my business about four years ago. It's called Market Appeal, right after my children moved out. And I help brands define their stories and tell them to the marketplace by creating everything from a tweet to publishing a book. My company, Market Appeal, publishes interactive multimedia digital magazines to tell brand stories. So uh, what are digital magazines? Because I don't subscribe to any, so I don't know what they are. Okay, well, there's different types of digital magazines like Forbes, Huffington Post. Those are basically websites, but they're a type of magazine. The magazines that I publish are more interactive because they're flipbook. I use a flipbook okay. technology, but I embed videos and audio. So I embed podcasts and music and do voiceovers. The links are there. So you click and then a pop-up for the website comes up and you can do whatever it is on that website. You click the X button and you're right back in the magazine again. And then you're flipping to the next book. So it's a very guided way to tell a brand story and ensure that people are able to dive deeper into the parts that they want that they're interested in and can skim over the parts that they're not so interested in. That sounds pretty cool. And before that, what were you doing? Uh, before I started a business. <laughs> yeah, before you started your business four years ago. You started four years ago, right? About four years ago, yeah. So Yes, what were you doing? My career path has been really not linear. It's been very different. I started in the investment world, working in a stock brokerage. Then I stayed home and took over the day-to-day operations of my daycare, my in-home daycare that I had started when my son was little. We had a nanny and she took care of the day-to-day. But when my daughter was born... And I live in Canada, so it's a year maternity leave. So my maternity leave was coming up. My daughter was just turning a year. And my nanny said, oh, you know, I'm going to go off and get married. And I'd been home a year. I'd been helping her with the daycare. I'm like, hey, you know what? I can do this. I can take care of these kids and be home for my kids. And that lasted three years. I was managing the needs of eight families, 11 children, six schools, and all on my own. From 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., I would have children. Then I'd have my children. <laughs> and then I decided, oh, I'm, I'm not busy enough. 
I'm going to volunteer for the soccer association. And so then I became the volunteer coordinator, which meant I was responsible for 800 families and organizing three large events and making sure that everybody met their volunteer requirements. And the way that I do things, it's not just a long line for hot dogs and one bouncy house, which is what it was in the past. It, you know, I went all out and every vendor at the end of the events were like, oh, you know, you did such a great job. Love it. I ended up getting hired as a photographer for a photographer company. So I was taking pictures of schools and Santa and had a little side business on my own where I was taking portraits of families and everything kind of went digital and I couldn't afford the digital camera. And so that business kind of died down a bit. Then I went into uh, sales, professional sales. And I thought, you know what? I got to learn how to sell better. So I was selling into the oil and gas field, uh, pump jacks and oil pipe from China. Okay. <laughs> so when I, I was the one and only salesperson and ended up selling pipe to a big oil company and didn't know that that was uh, quite a coup. <laughs> so I thought I wasn't doing a good enough job. So I decided to go do something else. And turns out it was quite, quite a big thing to do. Uh, I ended up selling advertising for years after that. And I really enjoyed selling advertising because once again, you're trying to figure out how can I get an audience to pay attention to this brand and choose them over their competitor. I would create the ad myself and go in and that's why I was able to sell so well, well, because I brought a visual for them. Then we moved to Vancouver and I couldn't find work for quite a while. Uh, I ended up in online reputation management, working for an online review site for contractors. And it was my job first to sell to them. And then I was promoted into a coaching role where I was helping the contractors create the actions and tasks for the system. So I was training them on how to use the platform and then how to go out and ask for reviews, how to manage bad reviews and how to utilize the reviews that they got in order to tell their story out into the marketplace and to get more interest. Uh, I lost that job because they just decided to go a different way and couldn't find work again. (laughs) But but by this time, I'm a single mom, so I need work. And in the end, I just ended up starting my own company. And that's how that all started. So that's a long, the long story of how I got to where I am. It wasn't that long. It was actually very interesting. (laughs) In all of those different careers, do you have any uh, crazy stories you can remember? Oh, let's see. Well, there's a lot more in daycare than anything else. And now that it's shut, I can kind of say some things. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all about, you know, my kids, not what I do. One day, one of the kids decided that they wanted my daughter to come visit their house. So they just grabbed my daughter's hand and walked home. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Where are you? (laughs) Uh, so i had to catch up to them and uh, were you running that daycare by yourself yes no help no employees well my ex see at the same time uh about a year into it when i took over the day to day because my employee left my husband at the time was a mechanic so he decided oh i'm gonna have a little side business fixing cars and me being me i went out and started marketing his company 
really hardcore. Basically, I created this little business card with a deal on it. And where we were living in Calgary, there are these parking rides where you go park your car and get on the transit. So I would go to these parking rides, which had hundreds and hundreds of cars. And the older cars, I would just put his business card in them. So, you know, he got busy doing that. And then he's like, oh, you know what? I'm not that busy. I could help you so we could get more kids because legally you can have so many kids per adult. So I'm like, oh, you can right. help me. Great. Yeah. He never came out of his garage. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't because he was always working because a lot of it was project stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it was me all. And like I said, after three years, because you can't take a vacation, you can't have a sick day and you have to be on the ball full time when, when you're with them. But, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. There was a lot of things that I did do. You know, I, when I said I had, 11, I had 11 kids, you know, they were varying ages. So I'd have six kids for the day. And then I'd have a few kids in the morning and a few kids after school, like before okay. school and after school. Okay. And by the time I'd have kids coming for the day, some of the before schools had already gotten on the bus. And then when their parents came pick them up, I would have the schools, the after school kids coming. So, you know, I would take six kids and we'd go shopping at the mall. And people would stare at me because I would tie these kids up like a train <laughs> <laughs> and tie them to my belt loop. And I would just go shopping and they would be with me. And we would just walk around the mall because in Calgary, we get minus 40 weather and uh snowdrifts so you know you want to go do something and you go play at the little play areas in the mall so um or i do things like we go to the amusement park or the dinosaur museum that was a big big one so yeah lots of different things in there in the other jobs you know there's so many different things that happened a lot of it i had to do with me not understanding there not being benchmarks so i didn't really realize that i was hitting benchmarks and doing really well one because i was my managers just didn't say hey you know you're doing really well they just let me go off and do my thing because i'm really good at picking up the ball and running with it but i had this real imposter syndrome or i'm not doing well enough i'm not doing good enough i'm not doing good enough and that kind of anxiety resulted in me walking away from a few things that i shouldn't have walked away from Mm. what made you want to start helping brands? Well, as I said, in a lot of what I've done, when I worked at the stock brokerage, yes, I did a lot of these stocks and bonds and and stuff, but I was also responsible for the marketing for a number of different brokers in the office. So it was telling their, why pick them over the other brokers? Then, you know, in daycare, once again, I was responsible for the marketing, why pick my daycare over another daycare? And so... In sales, same thing. Why pick this item instead of the other item? And it's telling that story. Then when I was 40, I wrote my first novel. I've always wanted to be a writer. I had always wanted to be a writer. But once again, I thought, oh, I'm no good. I'm not really a good writer. Even though when people would see something that did get published, because I wrote something for an association that I was volunteering for, and it was like, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a nice little pick me up, but I can't be a real writer. But at 40, I decided, okay, I'm going to try it. And wrote my first novel, got a lot of great reviews. Um, just really enjoyed developing the story. And What was your first one about? Uh, about a 
13-year-old boy who lives in Vancouver, well, basically where we're living, which is, which is like right beside the U.S. border. And one morning he wakes up to the sounds of gunfire and bombs and basically a foreign power has come in, taken over the lower mainland, shut everything down, uh, put roadblocks everywhere so you can't leave, shut off all the electricity, all the communication, put up checkpoints everywhere so you can't move. And so there's like a fence, like a fencing, not, not like the fence that Trump built, but, you know, wire. There's all stuff right about eight blocks north of the U.S. border. And I mean, I had it down. I knew exactly where all the, the road things were to. And him and a single mom have to figure out how to survive, uh, how to find food, how to, you know, get water. All those things that we really take for granted because we can we have electricity and not knowing what's going on because there's no communication. Then they start hearing rumors about people disappearing. And this 13-year-old boy starts getting anxious because he wants to go find his dad. But how is he going to get to his dad who lives downtown Vancouver when there's no transportation, no buses, no gas for like, you know, you don't want to use gas too much. And there's checkpoints between him and there. So it's just exploring the idea of what if war happened here? How could it happen? And how would that change our lives? And are we at all prepared for it? And a lot of things, you know, people would read the book, adults would read the book and they'd be like, oh, you have them fighting over groceries in the, in the parking lot here. They, people, we wouldn't fight over groceries. And then COVID happens and we're fighting over toilet paper. Uh-huh. <laughs> With supply chains intact. <laughs> and there was other things as well where, oh, you have everyone running to the noise to find out what's going on with their phones to take pictures. We wouldn't do that. And then the Paris attacks happened. Terrorist attacks happened. And I, you know, the videos were showing people running towards the action with their phones out. I'm like, okay, really? People wouldn't do that? I put that in my book and that's exactly how people act. That's when I realized that we don't really understand how we behave. We think we're going to do one thing when in actuality, we are actually going to do another. Yep. And there's a real eye opener in that. So, how many books have you written? How many novels? Okay. Are you working on number three? Yeah. So I'm working on the second one for 13 and I'm working on a totally different program with the second book because I'm breaking that one down into modules to help people learn how to write their own story and learn how to heal from trauma through story Mm. by taking apart this one magazine or this one book novel, which is Every chapter is written like a blog post. Okay. From the point of view of one of five women trying to navigate life in the 21st century. Okay. Is that the thing that you're most passionate about right now? Right now, yeah, because that is helping people to look at themselves, their life, what they really believe. It's helping them to take a break from every day and asking the tough questions. So those people that really want to write their memoirs or write some sort of legacy piece that they can leave for their children in the future, or those who, like me, have gone through multiple traumas or even one trauma and want to understand the story behind the trauma to heal from it and learn how to tell their story with, in order to get the help that they need. 
because a lot of times how we tell our story results in not getting the help that we need, people pitying us, people labeling us as victims, or in my case, other predators or abusers identifying their next victim because of the story that we tell. Mm, I um, remember when we spoke last, you were talking about uh, you can tell the story a certain way mm-hmm. and someone will feel pity for you. So how I tell this is, I can tell you my story one way and I would leave you in tears crying. Mm-hmm. Tell your story another way and you would have pity me as a pathetic person. I could tell my story a third way and you would see me as a hero that has ever overcome a lot. It is all in how you tell the story. That said, you still have to live in what that story is at that moment. So for example, when my when I first my marriage dissolved and I first was telling my piece of the story, I would use the language, my ex kicked me out of the house. I had to live in that for a little while before I could say, I chose to live the house because it became an unsafe situation. And at some point, I'm going to be able to get to, I chose to leave the house because I felt and believed it was an unsafe situation, but I'm not sure. It could have gone one of two ways. You know, so I'm I'm getting to that last way of talking, but you have to actually sit with each piece and tell the story until you understand it enough to move on to the next way of telling it. I see the distinctions and I know a lot of my audience has uh, seen some things that has left them with PTSD and some people call it occupational traumas. What do you have any advice for those people? You know, after what I've gone through, you know, I have triggers, which caused me to be extremely stressed out. One of them is sending out a resume of all things, because the whole job situation caused so much stress and trauma. But when you, for me, it was writing, taking my story, breaking it apart and writing it as a fictional story, mm. and putting those different characters into different situations That really helped me to understand what was going on, what was really happening. Like really look at that situation from all the different angles in order to be able to rewrite the story I was telling in my head. Mm, Rewriting the story. But you have to live, like I said, you have to live in those those pieces because first you have to identify what's triggering you, right? And then you have to figure out, have a voice for those triggers. So for example, I'm going to just make a statement here. My mother loves me very, very much. We're just very, very different. Okay. And because I've gone through this and I I got a voice, our relationship is very good. But when I first came out of my marriage and a lot of other things besides my marriage dissolving, I mean, that's just one of many things, traumas and issues that I've had to face. But my mom just wanted me to be whole. She just wanted me to be unbroken and be the woman that I was or that she thought I was. So she would say things like, you know, when one door closes, another door opens, all those placating positive statements. They were well-intentioned and well-intentioned advice as well. Because I would say, you know, my husband kicked me out of the house and my mom would go, you're saying it wrong. You need to say it this way, which was, I chose to leave the house. She was right, but I first needed to sit in 
my husband kicked me out. Right. And I need you to, to understand what that means. And that I have to actually grieve that my life has now ended. It wasn't the best life, but yes, this has now happened. It's like he died and I'm not getting any support. I'm not getting any sympathy, I'm not getting any help. You know, like when we went to like, once again, I live in Canada, so there's all this help. So my mom would take me to the family justice counselor and we would be going over all my options. And then the family counselor looked at me and said, okay, well, you're an abused woman. So you need to go deal with that before we can move on. And my mom just looked at her, looked at me, looked at her and said, she's not abused. What are you talking about? I mean, I even thought I wasn't, <laughs> but because a lot of times when you're an abused person, unless they're beating on you, you don't know that the situation that you were in was mm-hmm. an abusive situation mm-hmm. because of the mental, the financial, the emotional. And even at that, my ex-husband was just trying to do his best. And it's not like he meant to do, say the things and do the things. He was just doing his best. Now, four years ago, that's not the language that I use. <laughs> but I needed to use that hateful language in order to be able to deal with the fact that my marriage had dissolved and I was now in poverty standing in line at the food bank to get food because he refused to pay full child support and he refused to sell the house and he was still living in the house with his girlfriend and his mom and I had to use focus on the bad in order to get through it so I couldn't even think of the good things Mm. so that story at that time had to be that language and my mom didn't want me to use that language she wanted me to use different language and by saying certain things to me it just caused me more pain it caused me to think well you just don't care because you won't listen to what I'm trying to say it what it really comes down to is you don't care about my pain you don't care about where I am right now even though they do they just don't know how to voice it they don't know how to say it And most people do not know how to listen. They just want to fix, especially if, like in my case, my mom is is a task-oriented person. She's a doer. She wants everything done yesterday. So she would call me and say, have you done this, 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 (laughs) right? Well, let's see. I had lost my husband. I'd lost my job. I didn't have enough money to live. Like there was a lot of problems on my plate. And finally I told her, I said, mom, look, I have one plate. I'm one person. I got one plate. And on this plate, I can put three things. And a balanced meal is meat, carbs, and vegetables. So I can put three things on this plate. Everything else is over in the Chinese smorgasbord. And as I remove things off my plate, I will go and I can then refill that piece with whatever part of the Chinese smorgasbord I want. But right now, I have to deal with this. And once I had explained that to her, she went, oh, yeah, I guess you can't do it all at once. And you do have a plan. And of course, my plan wasn't what she wanted my plan to be. I was taking a very long view of my divorce proceedings so that it wouldn't be as traumatic as it could have been. And, you know, I wasn't fighting because I didn't have the tools to fight. I didn't have the tools to stand up for myself. But that's what she wanted me to do. She wanted me in court right now, getting full child support, getting my half of the house, you know, and it's like, I can't do that. Like you don't understand (laughs) because there's a misunderstanding there. And when you are in trauma, when you are in that place of pain, you're not understanding where that other person's coming from. All you're hearing is you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. 
or whatever thing your mind likes to tell you negative over and over and over again, that's going through your brain when that person is not meeting you where you need them to meet you. Writing about it enabled me to write from her point of view. So I started to under really understand where she was coming from in order to understand, you know what? She just has a limited understanding of where I am. She's never had this kind of trauma before. You know, my parents have been married 50 years. They got together when my mom was 18 and my dad was 21. They were married at 18 and 21. They have an amazing life. Everything they wanted, they got. So they don't understand where I am. So they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know how to talk about it. Once I understood that, then I could figure out which tools I needed or which boundaries to put in place. Because as an abused person, you don't have boundaries. You know, I never established boundaries in my life ever. Never had them, didn't know what they were. So I was then able to say, okay, look, I can talk to my mom for or my mom for 15 minutes. Because I still want to have a relationship with her, but I can't have her giving me this extra stress because she's pushing all of her worry about me onto me. What is your personal brand right now? My personal brand story is that I had to lose everything I was scared to lose in order to find myself and the path that I'm supposed to be on. You stated so beautifully and there's so much power in your brand story. Do you have any advice for people that want to kind of craft their own personal brand, that want to build their own personal brand? Okay, so if you want to build your own personal brand in a place of power, and it really depends on where you're coming from. So if you were like where I was in this place of trauma, well, you have to deal with that first before you can really start talking about yourself. Then once you're in a place where you're a little bit more understanding of your story, then you start have to crafting it in using hero language and be the hero of your story. What happened? What did you learn from it? And how did you overcome? Everyone loves an overcome story. Oh, I know. Everyone loves an underdog story. I actually just wrote about that in my coaching program. Everyone loves an underdog story, a comeback story. Yeah. And you can't really tell that story until you've come back. But the thing is, is you need to be telling it when you are in what I call the mud pit of life. When you are in the mud pit of life, struggling to get to the edge so that you can climb out. You need to be at least writing the experience so that you can know how far you've come and know how much further and where you want to be. Because until you know where you want to be, you don't know which side to be walking towards. There's so much power in writing. It requires you to think out, you know, coherent thoughts. And then you look at it and you're like, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. And then you scratch a line through it. You know, there's there's just so much power in, in writing. Exactly. And a lot of times what we think isn't exactly what we know. One of the things I do for brands or companies or professionals whom I am crafting stories for, one of the first things I sit down with them and say, okay, tell me what your core values are, your top five values. What are your core values? Some won't even know how to answer that question. Some will give me five and then we go to the next question and I say, okay, well, define those words for me, not the dictionary definition, but what did those words mean to you? I want a a definition and they have to write out those definitions. And some people get it and some people, this is where they fall off. And we have to go back to the beginning because it's like, okay, well, you need to pick a different value because obviously 
this isn't working. Then I get to the next level and I say, okay, so write stories about times when you exemplified those core values in your behavior and your words in work and life. Come up with two for each value because that's how you start your telling your story, a values-based brand story because then you can use those stories in your storytelling. If they cannot do that, then I know for 100% fact that all they've done is give me five buzzwords. Uh. <laughs> you are giving me values that you want to have, but that you do not have. You're telling me what you think other people want in that. Like if you are a financial planner or an insurance provider and you say, oh, I value integrity, but your behavior does not show that you value integrity. You're just saying that because you know that customers are looking for financial planners and investors who value integrity. My argument against that is you want to tell what your real five core values are because then those customers that have the same values will resonate with your brand story and they will become customers. Now, those customers, because they'll be happy and they will feel connected to you and you will build a better connection, will then go out and refer business to you. If, for example, you say, hey, my core value is integrity and you attract somebody whose core value is integrity, but you are late for every meeting. You do not meet deadlines. You say you're going to do something and you never do it. That person is going to automatically not have a good experience with you and will write you a bad review online, will not refer you to other people, will walk away and just think you're an idiot. If we automatically do the behaviors and act in ways where our value system lies, for example, one of my generational family values is hard work. I can go back generations to see how hard work on both sides of my family was taught to the children and how it was exemplified in everyone. Now, I don't have to say I value hard work because people can see that I value hard work. My children are an anomaly compared to other kids their age because they are hard workers. My daughter, very shy, very quiet, introverted, went to go work for a local restaurant chain in the kitchen. She was there a month. And this was her first real job. She was there a month before. And they, they had this employee meeting. And she was the employee of the month. And one of the youngest in the kitchen. And the chef was like, okay, you all need to work like she does. She was more, my, my daughter was mortified. One, <laughs> one, it set her up as other. Two, it set her up as the enemy because she's young. And three, she just doesn't like any attention, any light being attached to her. But it is a story that I can share, that she can share, that exemplifies the hard work ethic that she has when they're at work because they search for things to do. They're, they don't wait to be told what to do. They look around and say, okay, that needs to be done. So I'm going to go and do that. So they complain about other people that they work with who don't do that. So you can see what people's values are in their behaviors. That's why you want to ensure that you are attracting people that have the same or the value what those things, because it'll be easy for you to live up to the expectations that those people have for you. 
Mm, I wish I had the uh, bomb button because I drop a bomb right now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe my sound engineer can uh, throw in one for me (laughs) because that was that was probably a million dollars worth of diamonds and gems all sprinkled throughout that that little story. How do you tell? You don't know your story Mm. if you haven't answered those questions for yourself. If no one has broken down your story for you you won't be able to see those behaviors. You won't be able to tell that story. What should I ask you about that only a small circle of your friends know? I only have. No, I don't have very many friends. <laughs> yeah, because when I when my life fell apart, I actually walked away from a lot of people. How far did you move? No, I don't mean I moved away physically. I mean, I stopped having connection. Ah, uh, okay. I stopped interacting. I stopped engaging. I had to start working on myself and COVID has been really great for that. Cause like you said, I live in Canada. So, you know, the lockdown was a little longer here uh-huh. and the request to be home more was, is still in place over a year later. So being home by myself for that time and not going to networking meetings. Cause when I started my business, all my relationships went from personal to business. And then COVID kind of cut those. It was like, okay, I really had to sit with myself and sit with my story and sit with what I wanted. And I just became a lot stronger in that time because I didn't have the expectations of others. I didn't, wasn't trying to please anyone. I wasn't having any judgments coming at me. I wasn't having any negative comments coming at me. And I was just dealing with the work that I had. And that was a big piece of my healing. Mm. If you could have your own TV show, your own Netflix special, what would it be? You know what? I would probably be my novel about the five women trying to navigate life in the 21st century. Because it's, it's kind of written like a TV show. Each chapter is actually a blog post. So it's like each chapter is an episode. Do those five know each other? Yes. Or they all, they do. Oh, yeah. So in some way, their their lives intersect. Yes, they do. And actually, those five women are based on myself and every other woman out there in the world. Okay. So, What's the name of that book? I want to maybe uh, get that one. It's not published at the moment um, okay. because I unpublished it. It was called 40 something and I unpublished it to break it apart into chapters. But you can get it on my website. It's called That's Life. Okay. You can get the ebook version or the okay. on, on there. It's called That's Life. And basically you have Charlie, who is a very bitter divorce lawyer and has shared custody of one child. You have her best friend whom she just, or this one friend that she just met, who she hangs out with a lot. And she is a party girl who loves hanging out with men of any kind. she has a very nice alimony from her ex-husband. So she's very well off and they get into arguments because the party girl, you know, makes excuses for the way that men behave and, Oh, that's just the way that they are. It's okay for them to treat me like that because that's just the way they are. And I'm going to go and treat them like that back. Whereas the bitter woman is, well, you know, all men will tr- that treat you like this deserve to be, you know, so it's, it's a little <laughs> fight that goes back and forth. 
which really helped me understand my dichotomy, the dating dichotomy, the online dating. So I write about online dating and it's this dichotomy between you want to learn from your past mistakes, but at the same time, you don't want to brush every man with the same brush. So it's kind of a working at that. And it's also like in the book, you know, at one point, Charlie does, has this conversation with one lady while her date's sitting there and her date, which was going really well, all of a sudden gets up and leaves because of the, her language and what she's saying and how she's talking. Then there is Charlie's sister who got married young, has the perfect husband, three great kids, or four great kids, sorry, there is a fourth, fourth great teenagers and just lives a traditional life. She's a stay-at-home mom. This is the foil for everybody because she's the traditional. She's the, the traditional. Then there's her sister-in-law who, you know, perfect husband, two perfect kids, works from home, has her own company, pretty, great figure. Just from the outside, her life looks wonderful. Everybody's jealous of her, but she has no passion. She's just like, she's the one asking all the hard questions. Like, is this all there is to 40? Is this all there is to life? Like I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. And in her, I I really explore that whole depression and disconnect with what we have compared to what we wanted or being tight, just having the life that life gives us instead of going after the life that we want. I really like that statement you just made, having the life that life gives us instead of going after the life that we want. Yeah, it's like, she is living the American dream, but it's left her empty. She has a life that everybody wants, but she has the husband that every woman wants, but he's not as wonderful as... As it would appear on the outside. Yeah, yeah. And then the last woman is the abused woman. She's just been kicked out of her house. I, I, this, is the, this is my abuse story where, you know, she's kicked out of the house and really exploring that, well, why don't they fight back? Why are they so scared all the time? Why is it that they're so timid, but at the same time, they look so capable? And why can they do everything and yet nothing? You know, it really looks at her mindset and how an abused mind works and can heal. So. Yeah, I definitely think that um, my girlfriend, she loves to read a lot of novels. and She would definitely want to read that one. Okay, well, I will definitely make sure you get one. What's your website? Marketappeal.agency. Is that where I can find that? Yeah, it's it's under shop under books. Okay. And it is, Market Appeal is spelt wrong. Because it's (laughs) spelt using my last name. So it's Market A and then P-E-E-L. Okay. All right. I saw that on your Instagram a appeal and I was trying to figure out, I'm like, oh, it's her last name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I took that a little bit far. <laughs> you know, my tagline is peeling the layers to get to the core of the story. My first magazine is called appealing. My <laughs> magazine for realtors is called herb appeal. <laughs> you know, I just have taken it a little bit too far. <laughs> hey, it is. Yeah, you know what? Go deeper. That's what I say. I don't think you could take it too far. Just keep going in on it. (laughs) Just keep going in. If you had all of the money in the world and your family was taken care of, what would you spend that money on? 
Wow, that is a really great question for somebody that struggled financially for the last almost decade. And the great thing is, is that my family is. My whole family is financially taken care of. So what would you spend your money on? I'm thinking while I'm talking right here. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things I struggle with actually is spending money on myself. Mm. For the longest time, college students had better places than I did. (laughs) So I just wouldn't spend money on myself. So what would I spend money on? I would go traveling. I mean, my plan is to travel and live in different countries for six months of the year and then come back to Canada for six months and then go somewhere else. So I would be living in places like downtown London, downtown Paris, all those wonderful places that I would love to be and see and explore the culture, meet people. The history in Europe is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'm a history buff. I love history. I would just love to see some of those places. I was I went to London once and was able to touch a wall that was built like a thousand years ago. And, you know, I may not know the people that built the wall and I may not really know their story, but they built that wall and that wall is still standing. And because of the efforts that they did in their lives, they took a step to help us get to where we are now. Sure, you can look through history and see that, you know, through the dark ages when the church, after the, the Library of Alexandria burnt down and the church took power and the church basically stopped us from advancing and actually regressed us into but then every generation and everything that we do has helped society over time get to where we are today. And we may not know the stories of the people that we came from. You know, genealogy is a huge thing that a lot of people do. And I've gone on and I've gone on to ancestry.com. That was one of the projects I did during COVID. And on one branch, I was able to go all the way back to 1500 because someone had already done it. <laughs> which is great. It's like, oh, thanks. I can see that. You know, and other ones that couldn't go back as far, but we learned certain things. Like, you know, I didn't know that. I mean, there's a whole story that I actually ended up writing about because there is a story of my family. And I know that there's a picture. I saw the picture, just can't find the picture of Sir Robert Peel. And now I'm not directly related to Sir Robert Peel, but there's like a cousin or something. And he's the one that started the police force. We have police because of Sir Robert Peel. And somehow my family has an attachment to him. Cannot figure that out though. Then, but when I was doing the whole researching thing, I found out that my mother's grandfather was a peeler in London. And he married a woman who was a cook in Queen Victoria's kitchen. So she was making food for Queen Victoria and the prime ministers of the time. Hey, what's a peeler? A peeler is a cop. Uh, I thought so. I thought it's a British so. cop. Sorry, it's a okay. British in West Coast North America. Peeler's a stripper, but in London, <laughs> a peeler is a cop. Just, okay, I know what they are because peeler was like the big joke, uh, the big thing that guys like to call me. But yeah, so it's kind of an interesting story to see that one side of my family is connected to another side of my family, and that connection emulates in my birth because I'm the one that connected those two branches. And things like, oh, well, women are never worked. You know, we were always in the home. Well, that's not true. We know the noble story and the rich people's stories where the women worked and they weren't allowed to, or the women stayed home and they weren't allowed to work and they were supposed to be very pretty things that their husbands could be proud of at parties. We know that class's story. The rest of the masses where we live and we are part of, women worked. 
women worked hard jobs all throughout history. So this whole women working and becoming equal and stuff like that, there's a whole argument that I have against where feminism has come and how it's actually hindered women and hindered men. But that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> What's your next project? Oh, my next project? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. What do I want to do next? Okay. Well, right now I'm in the middle of breaking that's life apart and building these modules for people to really look at their lives. And so basically the first piece is the chapter. The next piece is a bit of my story and how I connected with that chapter. And then the last piece is questions to help them figure out how they connect to that chapter or the themes in that chapter, what was being talked about in that chapter so that they can then write their story and their piece about whatever the question was. It sounds like the makings of a great coaching program. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great, I think. I'm a journalist at heart. And asking those questions that make people think is one of my superpowers, which is I've helped a few people write their books. And one of the things that they always said is, wow, wow, that's a deep question. And at the end of the process, they're like, yeah, I mean, I really had to dig deeper than I would have dug on on my own. How could my audience use that to help themselves, like, you know, frontline workers? Well, I do have a program that they can sign up for in order to get the monthly or packages to enable them to do the work. And then there's like a Zoom call that they can come on and in order to have the accountability and to share their pieces and talk about how they can share them in order to heal. And that's on my website. It's called Life Unpeeled. Mm, So if someone's dealing with uh, some kind of trauma in their life or whether it be work trauma or personal trauma yeah they could um sign up and do the work to help them work through that trauma yeah i mean even though the chapter might be about something that you think oh well you know simple as getting ready for family dinner right like there's a chapter about getting ready for family dinner but in the story is actually, when you break it down and really think about it, it's how does Rose get, she asks her daughter to help her by going to the grocery store and she gets attitude. She runs out and finds out that they don't have enough beer and she turns around to figure out how she's going to solve that problem. And there's her husband with the beer. She didn't even have to ask him. Great. Then I get into a little bit about my story about the time I made this big dinner and my ex wouldn't even go to the grocery store for me, even though he was on his way to the store next door. <laughs> like, I'm going to Canadian Tower to get something. Oh, great. Can you pick this up from next door? No. Okay. Mm. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> then it's questions about, okay, so think about a time in your life. Doesn't have to be making dinner. It can be just when you needed to ask for help. And who did you ask? What was their response? How did you feel about that response? Did, did that response improve or stop you from asking for help again? Or did you continue to ask other people for help? And it really then dives into the concept of sometimes the people that you want to help you are not equipped to help you. And yet there are other people standing there trying to help you and you're not wanting their help because 
you just don't want them to help you. You want this other person to help you. And it's trying to get you to see where the help really is and understand how the choices that you're making are inhibiting you from getting the help that you need. Um, if you're continually trying to get this one person to help you and they, the way that they react to you is actually causing you trauma and actually causing you pain and is putting your, your healing backwards, you have to learn, okay, you know what? I need to either cut that person out of my life or understand that that person is just not equipped to help me. So what this person can do for me is this and this. I don't go to them to ask for help, but I do go to them if I just want to have a beer at the pub and kind of shoot the breeze. That's what they're good for. And you you really understand where people's strengths are and how you can connect with them better. And then you look at this other person and go, okay, you know what? That person actually is there for me and has the qualities to actually listen and knows how to listen, knows how to ask those questions to help me see where I'm at and help me to find a plan for myself. The therapist type person. Now that may not be the person that you call to go and have a beer at the pub because they're not fun. (laughs) You know, I'm this therapist type person. My friends before my life fell apart, my friends were always calling me to talk about the boyfriend that just dumped them to complain about their husband, whatever it was that they needed help with, they would be calling me. But then I would, they would tell me, Oh yeah, I had this house party and we invited this person, this person, and this person. Of course I wasn't on the invite list. (laughs) Yeah, It's like, okay. So um, I fit into this piece, but I can be really proud in the fact that that's my strength. However, when my life fell apart, I couldn't be the rock that they needed me to be anymore. And that really caused our relationships to dissolve. Doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them or anything wrong with me. It just means that the connection that we had, the friendship that we had, could not continue for that period of time. Those uh, questions you were asking before were really good prompts to get someone to write. Why are stories so important for your personal brand? So you could have a personal brand where you are telling people, what you do. And it's like, oh, I do this, 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 and this. Okay. So for example, I have a company where that I work with where the CEO is always saying, okay, no, you need to tell them that it's for $19.99. You need to tell them that they need to buy this and they need to buy that. Nobody is interested in the sales pitch. I don't remember a time that I ever resonated with a sales pitch. I can remember a lot of times when I've watched commercials that I resonated with because they were emotionally based stories. And then it's like, oh, yes. And then that brand becomes a good feeling. And whenever you establish a good feeling of something, it builds trust, which builds Mm. connection. Okay, for example, Coke or Pepsi. Which do you like, (laughs) Coke or Pepsi? I don't drink soda anymore. But But, but if you had to pick Coke or Pepsi? uh, Coke Zero, vanilla. (laughs) Okay, so you're Coke. Because of the way marketing works, uh, marketing, well, at least when we were growing up, when we were growing up, was very targeted to an audience. Coke targeted people that had traditional values that were about family, that were about connection through history, um, because they were really working on the fact that they were an old brand. They had the, you know, the family values, the Santa Claus, all that kind of traditional type 
thing. Pepsi, on the other hand, was really working on the opposite, where they would have people like Michael Jackson, and they were looking for, um, we're hip, we're young, we're, if you want to transform, if we're about change, we're about innovation and being cool. So they were looking at people who had those values. Mm. And so you can say, okay, so when I say Coke or Pepsi, a lot of times I can figure out what people's values are. If the branding was good enough, like you can do it with Coke and Pepsi for the X generation. You can do it with Apple and Microsoft for the X generation. And even the millennials too, for the most part. I would say though, that recently, from what I can see with marketing and advertising, the real distinction as to groups has been breaking down and the message isn't as distinct to the value system for a lot of those bigger brands that have been around long. I mean, if you go to Pentagonia, you can tell, okay, people that value an outdoor lifestyle and conservation and wanting to help climate change because Pentagonia has this really strong value statement in its its messaging, which is all story-based. But they're telling how those values and those things are important to them and it's resonating with other people who are who are that important. Whereas if I look at a lot of the brands from before, like Apple as one, I mean, they're more and more trying to appeal to everyone than in the past. And once they start doing that, it's hard to have that story that you resonate because you can't resonate with everyone. You know, I'm a PC and I'm an Apple commercial. Mm-hmm. Best commercial series ever to establish story and how your value system and your messaging can resonate with two different types of people. So and at different times. those are huge billion dollar, multi-million dollar companies that you right. mentioned. Let's talk about the Instagram or YouTube influencer, that okay. person that's trying to build their brand. Well, actually I'm going to touch on that by talking about something that is a little bit even more harder, more harder. That's not a word. Sorry for that English. (laughs) Okay. Realtors. I'm going to take realtors because this is a section of the market that it's hard to differentiate yourself. Yep. Realtors, you all basically do the same thing. You all have access to the exact same list list. And you know, the inventory is the same. I can go to any realtor in order to see the house that I want to see. And with the internet being the way that it is, the consumer is pretty much driving the ship. I want to see that one. I want to see that one. And I want to see that one. I'm going to call that realtor. I'm going to make an appointment to do that. The job of realtors has changed over the years in that way. Because before, we didn't really see all the MLS because there wasn't the internet. And Zillow. Right. When my mom was a realtor, you hired a realtor because they knew what was going on in the market. And you didn't unless you looked at because not every address or everything on sale was advertised in the paper. But now we can see everything. So you have these people who are realtors and they have to tell their brand story in a way that will build trust to people that they don't know and connect with them and make them understand that they're the realtor for them because they're not going to be a realtor for everyone. And how can they do that? And that really does come down to telling story. 
that resonates with people because people like to do business with the people they know, like, and trust. We intrinsically trust people who are like us, which is why we have this whole racial divide and all these issues, because we see something and we go, okay, that's like us or that's not like us. We want and we gravitate towards the groups that are like us. And it's not just white people going for white people. It is across the board. Do you know because who uh, Bob Proctor is? Yeah. Okay, good. He was the first person <laughs> I went to go see in Toronto. First Canadian, first time in Canada. I flew up to see Bob Proctor. Yeah. And uh, he talked about how eyesight is lying to us because we see different shades of people. We, we hear different accents. So our minds are telling us that that person's different, but there's really no difference between people on the inside. And that's the point that I'm getting to is that, okay, so we can see, and realtors use pictures as they run. They use their image, their face, right? When you tell your stories, then you're giving people more information about who you are and what you're about. And they can then see, oh, hey, that person has a kid my kid's age. That person values what I did. Oh, that person was a divorce. Oh, that person was fired. Or that person was, you know, once you start seeing the shared experiences, then those things start resonating with you. Then you start building connection and trust with people, regardless of how they look. You know, I was a teenager when Schindler's List came out. And I remember reading an article in the New Yorker, or not the New Yorker, sorry. Anyway, one of the papers from New York, where they were interviewing kids coming out of the Schindler's List about the movie, because every school was sending kids. But they had gone to a, an inner city school in a Black neighborhood to talk to these kids about Schindler's List. And repeatedly, they came out going, well, I don't know why, why I went. Well, it has nothing to do with me. My story, you know, it didn't resonate with me because the whole thing was so removed from them. Yet when, for me, as a history buff, you know, I was like, oh my God. And, <laughs> and because the whole British thing and Canada, where we did still have those ties to Britain, you know, there's more of a connection in that story. Actually, there's a story about the guy from Schindler's List who was the commandant of the camp, who, the guy that was stand on the patio or his deck and shoot people for fun. There's a book that his granddaughter wrote, and it's called My Grandfather Would Have Killed Me. Mm. She is a mixed race. Her mother was white and her father was black. And she didn't find out that he was her grandfather until she was an adult. And by finding a, a library book about her mother and her grandmother. So it's a really interesting book if you are into that. But finding that book about a mom and a grandma all of a sudden brought a connection for her, which then brought a connection to the guy in Schindler's List, which then builds that connection. But if you have no connection, if there is no thread for you to pick on and weave together, it's just other. I love Victorian literature. And a lot of Victorian literature is all about the other. And how if you're like Jane Eyre. In Jane Eyre, Rothschild's wife that's locked in a attic is from the Caribbean and is seen as other, is seen as crazy, is seen as mentally unstable, is seen as a burden. 
as not important as having no value because it's other. And I think that we are like that still, not to the same extent. Society has come a long way. And I think that we really need to celebrate how far we have come. And acknowledge it, right? However, we still have a long way to go. And I think that once we understand each other's stories and find those shared experiences and those shared values and those shared ideas, we will have less division in the world. Mm, I agree 100%. And there's one something called Lunch Club where you get on there and you can talk to people from all over the world. And their program just sets you up with people from all over the world. And you have these conversations with them. What's this called? Lunch Club. Lunch Club? Yeah. So I've talked to people from South Africa, Bangladesh, all over India, all over Europe, South America, of course, North America. And you talk to them and you are talking to them one-on-one. And when you do that, you're listening to their story and you're sharing your story You're finding these connections that make you think, oh, you know what? We all are looking for love. We all want our kids to grow up and be safe and and happy. We all just want to be feel secure. And you're finding all of these things that where you're the same. It's one of the reasons why I love to travel because I've learned that's those same lessons that you just mentioned. My goal is to put right now, it's to put two stamps every year on my passport. Just to so cool you know just to go see someplace else but uh like you i would like to live someplace for six months then move live somewhere else for six months uh, until i'm tired of doing that i like having roots too (laughs) well i think because i have roots my parents live in the house my great-grandfather built so i always know that i can go there and feel like i'm at home yeah how can we know ourselves better through story? I think you really already touched on this. Yeah, but. I really, really touched on that. Is that because a lot of times we don't know ourselves. We really don't. I mean, all you have to do is go on an online dating site <laughs> and try and fill in your information. Well, not even try and fill in your information. Just have a conversation with somebody and you have this conversation with them. They tell you who they are and what they're all about and what their value system is. And then you meet them in the real world. And they start behaving in the way that they do. And you realize that what they told you is not what they are. And you feel like you've just been totally catfished or something. (laughs) And you blame them and you hate them when the reality is they just don't know themselves or they are trying to get attention. And they just, you know, we're all just trying to get the same thing. You just brought up uh, dating sites. I just want to ask you this last question before my final five questions. (laughs) Depending on the platform you're on, how do you structure the different stories for different platforms? Like, like say for Instagram versus Facebook, LinkedIn, a dating website. Okay. So for LinkedIn, you're going to definitely want to be more professional in your tone. You're going to want more professional in your voice. So first thing you want to want to say is you want to ask her the questions, who am I? What can I do for you? Or what do I do? And how does that help you? Right? So you need to give them a reason to pay attention to you. And it's not who you are. It's how you help them. There's this whole thing about you being the hero of the story or making the audience the hero of the story. And once again, it's in the wording, right? So it's in how you say it. I could say that, hi, I'm Shannon. I write books and tell stories on social media and blogs and this and that and the other thing. And I could tell you how great I am and how wonderful I am that I could get you 
leads and all this stuff. But that's all about me and making promises that I know I can't keep. Or I could do is what I said before, which is where I help people. And I, this is what I do. I help people define their story and tell it. So if you now all of a sudden it's like, okay, the audience goes, I need someone to help me define my story and tell it. Okay. This is the person. That's what she does. How do I do that? I do that by creating everything from a tweet to by helping you publish a book. That's simple. So when you're writing something on LinkedIn, it's very much that way. When you're talking on Facebook, it can be a lot more casual. You can have a little bit of humor in it and be more personable and be more individualistic. If you are on a dating site, this is a little different because I have tried everything. Trust me. (laughs) I'm a single now for almost a decade. And humor goes a long way, you know, not being so serious in your, in your thing. Mm. You know, you can get frustrated. Like I read some of them and I can tell that the guys are frustrated just as much as the girls are frustrated. <laughs> Let me tell you. And you want to list off the things like, well, if you're this, if you're that, I don't, don't contact me. If <laughs> try not to do that. Like, <laughs> because when you start out negative, it's just be like, okay, well, this person's just, pissy i don't want to talk to someone who's pissy actually i have somebody that messaged me this morning when are you so pissy at me like, dude <laughs> you have told you you told me this you behave like this so i don't want to see you again and you're calling me <laughs> so you can be as nice about it and as clear about it and people will still misinterpret what you mean but when you're writing your profile talk about your values like i value these things in myself and in other people, because you, once again, if you value hard work and you put on there that you're this fun, loving person that has flexible time, a person that, you know, works nine to five and wants to just hang out and spend time on evenings and weekends and have fun contacts you, but you never really have that flexibility because you're always working. It's not going to work. So why set yourself up for failure Mm. to begin with? So talk about your value system, you know, make it a bit bit about humor. So if you don't want someone, certain type of person contacting you, you can still say it, but just be fun about it. Like I said something about, hey, if you're just looking for booty calls, I'm just not a booty call girl. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, hope you find what you're looking for because there's no intention on here that's wrong. Unless, of course, you're a scammer or a abuser in that case you're wrong all across the way like so i've stood i've said hey this is not me i get that you're looking for something but that's your thing not mine just know that you're not going to get that and i've also said i don't want scammers and abusers contacting me because <laughs> this is what i think of you so you just make it a little bit fun a little bit more positive a little bit more you know there's nothing wrong with you if you want that it's just not me so that they go okay well I don't, i'm not going to contact that person because well, scammers will contact you anyway, but that's a whole other story. I, I mean, I've done things like make something about, hey, let's have a conversation or talking. Hey, you know, my eyes are up here. They're not down there. <laughs> Maybe I should just draw some eyes down there. I have done some pretty weird things depending on my mental state after being on. I, <laughs> I try to stay off those sites as much as I possibly can because they're not good for your mental health. No, they're not. So how about... Facebook is not good for your mental health. (laughs) No, it's it's not. You have to unfollow a lot of people. And I actually stay off of Facebook because I I prefer 
Instagram because you could just it's a lot faster to just swipe and and yeah. you know, just my preference is TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat. You know, those you are my go. preferences. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't have a lot of experience with Snapchat or TikTok because I'm more on Twitter and LinkedIn. Those are my my two. It was a bit of Instagram. My, I do a lot more for clients on Instagram than myself. But if you want to, the thing is, is if you want to be successful on social media, there's only one way to be extremely successful on social media. You What's the one is? way? Post a lot. Nope. It's not post a lot. It's not. What is it? It's not. I know all of the people that are like me, all the people that do my job will tell you to create content, more content, create better content. If you're Gary Vee, he will tell you to create 56 pieces of content in a day. Is not the best way. The best way to make connections on social media and get noticed is to comment on other people's posts. Mm. Not to like them, but to go and do a hashtag search or a keyword search on the profile. Find posts that you can ask them a question to dive a little bit deeper into what they posted about. Don't say things like, oh, great post. Okay. You're just typing, oh, great post. You know, there's no conversation that you can have with the person. But if you see a post, you're like, oh, you know what? That's really interesting. Can you tell me about blah, blah, da, da, da? Now I know you've read the post. Now I know you're actually interested. And now I'm going to want to connect with you because you've shown interest in me. Mm. That's and like straight out of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> hey, you know what? It worked back then and it works today. But unfortunately, we got Gary Vee yelling at everybody, telling them to, to grind, 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 when nobody really wants to watch the, you know, no one wants to watch a Shannon show. I'd watch um, that show. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you have to give before you get. You know, you have to really want to connect with somebody before they want to connect with you. I've made some amazing connections on LinkedIn. I mean, the one thing I like about Lunch Club is that you meet people face to face and then you connect with them on LinkedIn. Mm. Whereas I got to check that out. Yeah. I'll send you a link because you have to have an invite. So I'll send you the invite. It sounds like uh, clubhouse, but more visual. Well, it is like clubhouse, but more visual, but it's also one-on-one. It's not a group chat. I got off clubhouse because it was just a big, like I found myself getting sucked into conversations and spending like just way too much time listening to other people's conversations. And I was like, all right, I'm wasting too much time on this yeah. app. So I stopped listening as much. Well, I stopped listening when um, I, fa- I mean, it took me forever just to find a, a conversation that I was interested in. Finally find this conversation and it's going great. Then this person gets up and he starts spouting off how to live your life. And then he says, yeah, you know what? I'm 21 years old and I figured it out and this is how you need to do it. <laughs> And I just thought, you know what? If I wanted a 21-year-old to tell me how to live my life, I would call my son because that's exactly what he does. And it's like, okay, I, at that point, I just thought, you know what? This is not for me. I'm X-Gen. Gen Z does not understand X-Gen. Millennials do not understand X-Gen. Baby boomers do not understand X-Gen. And it's not just because generations don't understand each other, but because nobody really talks about X-Gen. Nobody has really studied X-Gen or even cared. Our generation has gone through a lot of struggle and a lot of change. And we we're the ones that created the whole internet thing. We didn't have courses to learn in order to get jobs. When we started jobs, there was affirmative action, which was great for some people and not great for other people. 
there was a recession on. So there wasn't jobs. Baby boomers were not retiring. We were told, go to school, get an education. When you graduate, you'll be able to get a job. That's not what happened. The millennials have found that as well. Unfortunately, my kids are in university. And even though I told them, I want you to go out and get a job first. (laughs) But I mean, that said, both of my kids started working in a restaurant at the age of 14. And right at the moment, my son is on a commercial fishing boat off the coast of northern BC, Alaska. That's pretty cool. You're probably a little worried about him now. Very, very. And he's very good at when he comes into port to text me, well, I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And actually, there's a really good story because he is amazing at meeting people. He knows people from all different walks of life. And he's been able to get different types of jobs because of that. And that is how he got onto a fishing boat because it's not easy to get into a fishing boat. But he had a friend who knew somebody and got the job. So he calls me and goes, hey, I'm on a fishing boat. I'm like, I'm going to get on a fishing boat. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know anything about the ocean. I grew up on a lake. We went on a camping trip on my uncle's boat once with my husband, me and my kids across Georgia Strait. And it was nice. And, but it's not like Georgia Strait, it's an inlet. Okay. It's not the ocean. And we were coming back and there's these huge waves. And I'm tying the kids to myself because I'm thinking, okay, if we go down or we go over, the kids are going to end up in a current. I'm going to lose them. You know, like I was terrified. And then there's these big animals in the ocean. So, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. My son, who doesn't have the greatest focus because he's so intelligent. He's in his mind all the time. Something's going to happen. And then he's going to get hurt. And there's how are they going to get him to the hospital? If he had gone into logging or the oil patch or mining, I would have been fine. Because I know people that are that. So uh-huh. I'm but anyway. Then he called me the night before he was supposed to get on the boat and his girlfriend had just broken her leg. She's broken it so bad. She's in surgery mm. and he can't go into the hospital because of COVID. So he can't see her and he's calling me. He's like, okay, I think this might be a sign that I'm not supposed to go. And then he starts giving me all the reasons why he shouldn't go. And my first thought was great. I can keep him going. <laughs> this is awesome. Then I stopped and I thought, well, let's see. This is BC. You cannot see the BC coast except for by boat. We do not have a road that you can drive up the BC coast. He will see things that he will never be able to see again in his life. He'll get to see orcas and dolphins and all sorts of things that he's never seen. He'll get to fit. He'll get to experience being a commercial fisherman, which was one of the things that was on his bucket list. Did you see Spiracy? <laughs> no, I had pictures of the perfect storm going through my head. <laughs> so you should watch uh, the Netflix. Better. Do you have Netflix? No, I don't. And I am not watching anything as long as he's on a boat. <laughs> so see Spiracy, it doesn't really have to do with boating. It has to do more with commercial fishing. Oh, okay. And, okay. And, yeah. Well, well, he's just on a really small little fishing boat. But in the end, I kind of was like, you know what? Why did you want to go in the first place? And then I started asking him questions to get him to realize the reality of the situation that he was in. And then I said, look, you know, call Emily, call her mom, talk to them and call me back. So then by the time he'd done all that and really thought it through the next day, he was on the fishing boat. And I was still like, I'm not watching the perfect storm. I am not watching anything to do with the sea. I'm not watching the whole thing about fishing for crab off of Alaska. 
No, you should definitely not watch The Deadliest Catch. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, I'm not watching any of that right now. Well, because they're on the way up. Like, that's where they're... And, well, there's a scene in uh, Perfect Storm where the guy gets the hook caught in his hand and goes over and then it's being dragged down because of the type of fishing that they're doing. And that's the type of fishing that they're doing. <laughs> that's what fishing my son's doing because they're, they're going after halibut, which is put the thing on the hook and throw the hook over. And I just got to keep that, that image of that guy going out of my hand. <laughs> Dan, let me ask you, what's your definition of a hero? Definition of a hero is anyone that overcomes the crop in their life and doesn't give up. And when stress is at its highest and you're at your lowest point, how do you save yourself? How do you show yourself love? Oh, that is a hard one. You know, that really is a hard one. Because I am so isolated and alone. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think you do. You sit down and you start writing. Yes, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, I don't have a lifeline to call. What I do is I understand, I sit down and I understand by writing it out and I write an article about what it is that I'm going through. How often are you writing? I write every day. I write something every day, but it's not always about myself. Like I write articles for clients. I write articles mm-hmm. for my magazines. I write articles for my clients' magazines. I just wrote something today about the habit of writing a little micro blog or a little micro joke. And I got that habit. I learned it from Jerry Seinfeld. Did you ever hear the story of Jerry Seinfeld? No. A young, a young comic uh, approached him and asked him if he had any tips for an up-and-coming comic. And Jerry Seinfeld said, in order to be a good comic, you have to tell good jokes. In order to tell good jokes, you have to write every day. So he has a calendar that has the entire year. I just ordered the calendar off of Amazon, actually. It has the entire year view. And every day that you sit down and you write a joke, you put an X. Like for me, I'd put a V because I like the V for victory. Or, or a check mark, but he what Jerry Seinfeld did was he put an X for every day, and he and he talked about keeping that chain going. Mm-hmm. You know, he said that was the best advice that he could get, and it doesn't matter the quality of the joke; that it's the habit of writing every single day, and that applies to if you're a musician, if you're a writer, if you're a speaker, you should be practicing speaking every day, even as a speaker. You have to know what the story is before you open your mouth. If you think, oh, I can just get up and speak. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've talked about today is stuff that I've written about in the past. Uh I know the stories because I've written them out. Uh And there's a beginning, a middle, an end. I know where I want to start the story. I know what details I want to leave out. And I know what details I want to put in. There's a lot of details that I don't ever want to tell anyone. One of the big thing mistakes I see people doing when they're trying to tell stories is they put in too much detail. Uh huh. Rarely do I find someone that doesn't put in enough, but you can also put not put in enough. Most people want to try and tell you everything. And what happens is the audience gets lost in the detail and they have no idea what your story is about because you do not know what your story is about. It's very common. Like when you talk, to a friend on the phone and they start telling you, well, I went to Superstore and I bought this and I did this. Oh, wait a minute. But before I went to Superstore, I went over here and did this. I I got to tell this in the right chronological order. It's like, no, you're not giving me a play-by-play. No, it's too much. 
startup companies who are pitching to VCs or pitching or salespeople who are trying to give a sales presentation, they do it as well, where they stand up and they give a presentation and they just try to tell everyone everything as fast as they possibly can and they lose their audience instead of just painting a story with a really broad paintbrush and then giving people the opportunity to ask questions, which then you can then dive deeper into the details of that piece. Mm, I get it. Would you ever consider coaching other writers or other people who want to start their own brand? We kind of talked about this. Yeah. You've already been coaching? I haven't, I haven't quite, like, I mean, I'm just starting. It's not a formalized program yet. It's not a formal, it, I'm just starting. Like on Tuesday mornings in, not this Tuesday, but in on the 20th of July, every Tuesday morning, I am going to start having 30-minute Zoom chat where people can come in and we can talk about whatever brand story is going on. And then from there, and then there's steps beyond that. But at least I can start with that. And then, of course, the unpeeled, any unpeeled members, it's a whole... Face, a Facebook group, too. You could have a community of writers, yeah. you know, people who want to build a brand. Oh, yeah, uh, I have a Facebook group for that. But, you know, I think it's way more important to have the one-on-one FaceTime mm. help people because I can give you a whole do this, 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 and this. Do these 10 things. It's not going to help you if you don't do those 10 things. And it's not going to help you if you don't understand what that step really means. So you need the accountability piece. You need the additional questions. It's discovery. I help people discover themselves and discover their story by asking the questions that they never think to ask themselves. Mm, I like it. I do the same thing. What's your power? You said it earlier. It's the ability to get people to think. Yeah. Yeah, my superpower is understand. I, I am very good at understanding what people mean in a lot of ways. I have one client who, you know, he tells me something. He goes, you're really good at listening, but you're also really good at hearing what I'm not saying and writing because I write for him, right? So he tells me, and then I'm able to write a bigger piece because I understand what he means, even though he hasn't expressed what he's meant. And just the last question, I don't know if you're a comic book fan or a, a uh, oh, yeah, movie, okay. movie fan, but if you had a comic superpower, what, what would your power be and why? Oh, you know what? I have a lot of empathy, but it would be great to be able to read people's minds because everyone keeps thinking that I can just plug into their head and know what they're talking about. And I didn't know I just said I had the, that, that was my superpower. But if I had just a little bit more of that... <laughs> You know, just a little bit more, I would be perfect. <laughs> and, and I appreciate your time and I appreciate this conversation. I think I learned that that's one of the benefits of interviewing people is I learn yes. every time I learn a little bit more, I absorb and I take away a little bit more, a little bit more. It just helps me. And I know everything that you spoke about is going to help my audience. And I just want to thank you really very, very much for the time and and being here. Uh, sorry if, about the noise that's about to come through here. I live okay. right on the 911 thoroughfare, so I get a lot of that. <laughs> that's okay. I love that sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a fire truck that just went by, so hopefully it's nothing <laughs> too serious. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Yeah, you always um, get a little nervous when they pull up in front of your building. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All right. I appreciate this time. If people want to find you, 
just give the website again. Yeah, it's um, marketappeal.agency. Okay, I will uh, post it up in the show notes and I will post a link to your website. Yeah, it's not .com. I'm not the Chinese casino. No. (laughs) (laughs) .agency, got it. .agency, yes. And Peel is spelled P-E-E-L. P-E-E-L, Shannon Peel, two N's, P-E-E-L. Yeah, just like a banana. It's really great when your name is a noun and a verb. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for peeling back the layers today. Anyway, take it easy and thank you so much. This was lots of fun. Thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. (laughs) I I did too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where we can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. I believe that frontline heroes such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those who have chosen to serve society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here you will learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their passion. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing. Things you can do to make extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you will learn from people like you who are working full time, but still found time to create a course, grow a big team or a large audience or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories and how they overcame burnout. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. I'm your host, David Diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of this story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.